Hi dancers, dance moms, and dads, and dance educators. Welcome to Be On Point. I'm your host, Melissa Kraushorn. My background in dance includes working with summer programs at Boston Ballet, Central Pennsylvania Youth Ballet, Miami City Ballet, San Francisco Ballet, the Joyce Theater's Dance Education Program, Freed of London, and Penn State Center for the Performing Arts. I'm passionate about providing young dancers and their parents with resources and tools to create the career they want and love in dance. You can learn more at my website, www.mcmovement.com, or connect via Instagram or Facebook. Please take a moment to give Beyond Point a like and a review and share with a friend. Enjoy. Stefan Zubel, a dance educator and performing artist, joins Beyond Point to share his expertise in crafting experiences for personal fulfillment. Stefan danced professionally with Richmond Ballet and Fort Wayne Ballet, completed undergraduate studies in theater at Purdue University at Fort Wayne, and his MFA in dance at Florida State University. Stefan has worked as a choreographer, educator, and director for various organizations and acts as a judge for StarQuest International. In higher education, he taught at Hartford Community College and Seton Hill University. He is currently a tenure track assistant professor in ballet at Utah Valley University. Stefan relentlessly pursues all aspects of each opportunity and has developed strong mentors along the way to guide his artistic efforts. His willingness to operate outside of his comfort zone to try things differently and learn from those around him have been among his superpowers as a performing artist and educator. For a 360 degree look at what it is like to be a student, join a company and become an educator, here is Stefan's story. What are one or two significant experiences or opportunities that help shape your professional choices as a dancer and educator? It was either the third or fourth year where Val Canaparoli, who was sort of a um, regular at Richmond Ballet, uh, was setting a work and he cast me. It was the first time I had been cast, uh, not a lead role, but there were four men and four ladies. Mm -hmm. His his movement is is really contemporary ballet. And it was sort of kind of launched that path of, oh, there's other things Stefan can do. <laughs> and so it just they just started to consider me for things. And uh, working with Val Canaparoli really ignited my passion for choreography. And certainly a number of choreographers along the way influenced that. But just how he worked, how he was in the studio, you can see him thinking and just his humor at times was definitely an inspiration. So I would definitely think working with him at that point at Richmond Valley was definitely one. And I promised my mom that I would go back to college. And I was just at a point in my life where I'm like, now's the time to do it. And I thought I was, I was at that age. I'm like, I'm probably going to retire soon. Yeah, I was at Fort Wayne Ballet in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And at the time it was Indiana University and Purdue University at Fort Wayne. Now it's just Purdue. So I went there at uh, as a theater major and just some, just amazing faculty and students. And it was the first time I I got cast as in a Shakespeare play. Mm -hmm. um, so I was, I was on Templis of Syracuse and just doing a Shakespeare play. I don't know, getting to that point where I could do a monologue audition and earn a part it really teaches you about process and having the patience to work. Like I, I practice that monologue endlessly, not only by myself, but in front of friends and was ready. And I think as an audience member, seeing the Shakespeare work, uh, sometimes it gets hard. But once you're in one, especially in a major role where there's lots of line and lots of dialogue, his work starts to resonate more. And I, I see the same thing in dance 
where I think sometimes audience members have a hard time with with movement. Mm -hmm. But once you've been in a classical work or contemporary work or modern, oh, you just I just love watching dance. Uh, so I, I think that was a pivotal point where it just changed my perspective yeah. of theater and being an artist and how to work as an artist. And I've started thinking of myself as an artist, not just a dancer, not just an actor or a musician, because all those things tie together. They all have a similar work process. What programs or teachers helped shape your experience as a dancer and as an artist? It's hard to name just just one, but I would actually reach way forward in my life and, and talk about grad school and FSU. I <laughs> say there's joke. They didn't care that mm -hmm. I danced. I mean, you're in grad school, you know, you still have to dance at a high level. You can't just coast. <laughs> and to think that at 40, I was being expected to dance as well. Mm -hmm. I dance alongside people half my age and keep up. It was certainly motivating. And it was just inspiring. It changed my perspective on how to teach and how to be a teacher and how to be a mentor. Um, Linda Davis was my mentor there. And just the patience, just nudging me in new directions and just seeing how I would respond and the quietness, which was she did it. Yeah, I, I would say FSU was probably the most, and that's late in my life, <laughs> was perhaps the most formative. I felt like I really found myself as an artist and a teacher and what I wanted to do. I mean, I love teaching in a, in a ballet studio and that age level. But I'm, I found really teaching at the university level mm -hmm. is where I really wanted to be. You've led into this a little bit, but how did you choose your educational programs? FSU came from a recommendation from a friend who, I mean, she, she was actually working at the Ballet Academy as our school principal at the time. Of course, she asked me, like, what are you going to do after, after college? Um, like, I don't know. She's like, go get your MFA and go to FSU. <laughs> um, so literally just put that number one on the list. I look at look at I looked at the professors and then I started just I wanted also big university life. IPFW in Fort Wayne was great, but I just wanted to experience big campuses. So I started looking at the big campuses like Arizona University has a great dance program. Looking at their professors and the companies they brought in. Did I have uh, a choice? Could I do everything? I, there are other big universities that you, you could either just do an MFA in ballet or an MFA in modern, an MFA in something else. But at FSU, it was a cornucopia. I mean, you're expected mm -hmm. to be in ballet class in the morning, then uh, modern. I mean, you had choreography, you had everything. So that's part of the reason why they were top of the list. So I'm thankful that they were my first audition. <laughs> so I didn't have to go through a whole bunch. But there are a number of <laughs> wonderful programs out there. And it's you have to find the program that's right for you. You really do. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I hesitate now between you know, recommending places to go. Yeah because it can be the environment, it could be the studio spaces, it could be faculty members you have to work with where you just go, this is where I want to be. I want to share my story of my audition day and it's a torrential downpour. <laughs> so I'm in the visitor's parking lot, which oh, no. is down by the stadium. <laughs> um, and then the rain stops. And as I'm walking up to the school of dance, of course, are rainbows everywhere and everything is sparkling. I'm like, oh, this is a sign. <laughs> Let's go back a little bit into the opportunities you've had to dance 
describe what it was like dancing for some of the companies that you performed with or created work? For seven years, working from an apprentice to full company. And what was especially nice about that time frame, uh, they did a lot of touring, not a local touring at that point. Of course, now they do. They've been to... I think Paris and they've done some other world tours. But my favorite thing that we did is we got into a tour of the Midwest doing Swan Lake. I think I was, I, I had a great time. I loved it. Uh, it was really tough on the crew because it was basically perform, day of travel, perform, day of travel kind of tour. So it was very rough on our crew. Um, they were fabulous. And at, at a certain point, as much as I loved Richmond, I mean, you got to start looking elsewhere because you want people to see you in a different light. So I was looking to start auditioning and I blew out my knee and um, had a great train um, physical therapist who got me back on stage, but it's knee surgery. And even though they say you're going to be hundred percent, it's different on every bone. And my my knee would swell and then it wouldn't swell, but it would be hurting. And it was just the spring just was a mess. And so they thought I wouldn't dance again. Hi dancers, checking in to let you know about the Rolga, which is not your ordinary foam roller. It's been pivotal for me in terms of muscle care and recovery. I wish I'd had one as a young dancer. Rolga is a cross-dimensional foam roller designed to stabilize the hips, align the back and increase range of motion. It's ideal for muscle recovery, fascial health, and functional restoration of movement. Ordinary foam rollers cause discomfort and pain due to the unfitting design. Rolga is designed and contoured to fit your body and reach trigger points that are difficult to reach with an ordinary roller. Our entire body is consumed with connective tissue called fascia. Just like anything in our body, connective tissue degenerates and breaks down over time. The degeneration of fascia can be accelerated with repetitive overuse, stress, or injury as often seen in dance. Rolga brings regeneration to damaged tissue by influencing circulation of oxygen-rich blood flow. Rolga will prevent fascia from becoming unhealthy, and by restoring your fascia, you will restore your mobility. You can use code MCMOVEMENT for 15% off your purchase. The link is also in the show notes. Happy muscle recovery to you. Then my artistic director, Stoner Winslet, found me an opportunity in Fort Wayne. And so uh, interviewing and auditioning there, I mean, my time there especially I was still teaching and dancing and going to college at a certain point, really a, a number of things really became important, like time management, maintaining conditioning. I was on the early cusp mm -hmm. of, as a dancer, you need to do more than what you're doing in the studio. And it's not just Pilates. You need to do cardio stuff. You need to do uh, weight training that in weight training does not put on muscle mass. If you do it correctly, at times I was the only male dancer, uh, principal male dancer. So there was sometimes a tremendous performance load, eating right to yeah. stay, to stay healthy and have energy, you know, starting to change my diet so that it fuels me. And as opposed to making me look a certain way, I need energy. <laughs> uh, so I think those two, that's like 14 yeah. years where I've just how it developed or formed where I am today. You've talked about some of the skills you needed to manage your life as a professional dancer, maybe for our pre-professional dancers or about to be professional dancers. What did daily life look like for you as a professional dancer? Got to the studio early. You don't have to do that. <laughs> uh, at least 45 minutes early. That gave <laughs> me time to change and be in the studio 
a half hour before class at least and go through warm-up exercises and not just stretching you know things i have i'm blessed to have good feet. Um, this was a time period where we didn't have all the gizmos to stretch our feet. <laughs> um, but I did all sorts of exercises to get warmed up and to be ready <laughs> at the beginning of bar. Um, and then depending on what we're rehearsing, we would have a company class hour and a half. And then depending on what you're rehearsing, um, you would rehearse until 4, 4.30. And then I'd go home shower, I would go to the gym. I got in trouble for that because at least during that time period, that was not something you did, but I did treadmill work and stuff. I, went to, <laughs> I had uh, a local Y across the street. So I just walk across and, and work out there. I also worked a part-time job. Um, I was living on my own, um, trying to pay for a car and car insurance. And while the salary was, was great, I mean, I had additional expenses. So uh, that got to be challenging. So that's the daily life. It's just like you get up, you, you get to the studio, give yourself some sort of warm up at home or get to the studio and do it there. You have class. It was usually frowned upon a little bit that if you were done early that you left, <laughs> get in the studio and learn, especially if you're an apprentice, like you learned everything, <laughs> but get in the studio, go over everything that you're working on. Yeah. The most precious thing you could get was at least at that time was a cassette tape of the music. It was one of the first things I asked when I was cast in something was to may have a copy of the music. Those days it was the Walkman. <laughs> I trained at Washington School of Ballet for about two years. And they, uh, at one point, just had a series of bad luck with their male dancers. I think three or four got injured, like boom, boom, like right in a row. So they reached out to Stoner to see if I was available because they were doing a Chusan Go work. If people don't know who he was, he was just this rising star in the ballet world and was a resident choreographer at um, mm -hmm. the Washington School of Ballet. And unfortunately, because of AIDS, he passed away. So if you were a student at the school, you learned his work. And they were doing, I think it was fives that they were doing one of his, one of his iconic works, which I had learned, but they sent the music, they sent the videotape. And yeah. after this was actually, I'm, I'm learning this during Nutcracker. So I go, I take company class, the entire artistic staff watches class to make sure I'm in shape. Then the, the company goes to rehearse something else. Yes. And the ballet master takes me downstairs and puts the music on. And he wants to see me do the ballet. And that's a long pause because I'm, I'm, a, I'm like in the core. So he wants to know that I know the choreography, I know the spacing, I know when I come in and all that stuff. Yeah. So that was a stressful couple of hours. <laughs> but I did fine. I did fine. I was so thrilled to be ready. <laughs> what artists... Um, you've mentioned Val Canaparoli in your time at Washington Ballet. What other artists mm. inside or outside of dance have influenced your movement? Well, the first one that comes to mind is Azure Barton. At FSU, we had the opportunity to go to the Sarasota Arts Festival in, in Sarasota. I think it was at one time called the Brishnikov Arts Festival, but I think now it's Sarasota Arts Festival. Of course, we were dancing in some tent, but it was still great. It, I mean, we still had packed audience and we did several performances a day which was great <laughs> but then we got to see the performances at night sorry i get goosebumps even now she presented a piece called busk which is about gypsies i've gypsies and storytelling but i remember it's only the second piece where i just i hurt afterwards because i sat so still and just so captivated 
And of course, after that day, I'm like digging into her work, finding out, because I didn't know at that point, I was embarrassed. I didn't know who she was. I mean, she's this amazing choreographer uh, who's worked with Baryshnikov and done all these incredible pieces and worked with companies. And I'm watching this piece totally immersed in the world. I can't even describe it because I think it wouldn't do it justice. Uh, I think we all have that experience where we see a work and we and it shapes us afterwards. It changes how we are as a choreographer, how we handle music, how we handle movement. And it starts to make you also question like, what is dance? Uh, we were so inundated yeah. with, with shows that have one style of dance. Um, and everyone thinks that's all that's out there, but there isn't. I, I rediscovered Cunningham because of her. And I forget how there was a leap into his work. Cause I always mm. struggled with his work. And after experiencing her work and then his, I'm like, I started to understand what he was after and what he was about. So I would definitely say Azure Barton. You've talked about your experience in graduate school at Florida state. What was the transition like from being a grad student to then becoming a professor in um, higher education? Was keeping up with all the students. I think that the difficulty, the real mountain to climb, as I look out my window and I see mountains, is a lot of students come from one environment and you're trying to present them with material that's different than what they've experienced. And it really challenges them. So just having the patience to find ways and different ways to explain things, different paths to present them the material. So they see the bigger world that's, that's out there. There's so much dance to say one is more right than the other is you just, you can't, you can't. There's a great discussion. I'm teaching a, um, a dance orientation class all online. So it's, it's interesting. Been a great discussion about the students who are, because we came right out of a ballet module and we went right into a hip hop module and, and some other social dances. And they had some really great questions because, well, if ballet is social dance, like why isn't hip hop structured the way ballet is? And it's, it's great to see students challenged and responding in a good way where I am. And so where I am now, where, I have a, a course load that allows time to grade and do research and to do reading, to, to respond to students. So where I am now, um, if I could compare it to grad school, I, I don't know. When I was at Richmond, Ruth Petrinovich uh, was the school director. And right away as apprentice, she pulled me into the pedagogy program that she had there. And it was something that came up early is that she was trying to get ballet instructors to understand it's more than just giving class, it's teaching, you know, so that you're able to explain things. And especially now we're in a, where we are in a world where contemporary ballet class is much more welcomed and embraced, where it used to be, if you're not teaching Vaganova, mm, you're not good. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, Vaganova is amazing, that 10-year arc, what it does <laughs> and what it creates as far as a ballet student, but what do you do after it? So when you're teaching in more of the contemporary ballet way, being able to explain why you're giving things the way you're giving, what purpose it serves. As you consider your current role as a dance educator in higher ed, what is your philosophy about approaching mm. your pedagogy? I was transitioning out of ballet and I was headed into more modern. Uh, for sure, and fell in love with Lamone. 
and his way of teaching. And I'm, I may get this quote wrong, but he was once asked like why he doesn't have a syllabus. I think it's along the lines is that teaching should be a pantheon, not a mausoleum in the sense that a pantheon is someone that's living and breathing and a mausoleum, it, this is what it is. You know, and we have this deep reverence for what the material is. And I think about my time in gyrotonic and gyrokinesis, which is a somatic form. So it was created for dancers. And because he is still alive, it evolves and it changes. And he edits, he adds things in, he takes things out. And what it was when it first started is not where it is today. And so that's what I mean about pantheons. It changes. New knowledge comes in and we adjust things um, as opposed to, well, this is what it is and it doesn't change. And so my teaching um, has evolved from this is, this is what class is. This is the structure. This is what you need to do to embracing everything that I'm doing in my life. Or I'm doing a lot of research and empathy and work having worked with art therapists, learning to hold space, really looking at your client and reading them and looking at a student and seeing how they're responding today and guiding my feedback to them in a way that's much more positive, that I'll get a better response. Because sometimes you can see you give a correction that really looks like the student's wounded. <laughs> um, so the way my pedagogy has changed, yeah. there's a definite structure to class but I'm much more on the positive side. I try and give as much positive feedback as negative feedback. I do a directing exercise in my choreography class where they each they all learn a combination and they pair off. And as they move across the floor, the one in front does the combination and the one behind gives as many corrections as possible. Let them know. Boom, 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 boom. And man, can they can they tell their dancer what's wrong? But coming back... They're supposed to tell them everything they're doing right. They struggle because that's the meant. And in some cases, yes, the only way you can get better is knowing what you're doing wrong. But how do you know if you're doing things right if you're never told you're doing something right? All they start to do is think that everything you do is wrong, which is what my entire career was. Pedagogy has changed so that I try to embrace a positive and let it go. That's it. Stop. Not that was wonderful, but you know what would make it better? <laughs> you know, I stop it. Yes, that was great done. Um, sometimes I give a student just one thing in class mm. and let them ride it through the rest of class. That comes a little bit out of gyrokinesis where Angelie Austin was my master trainer and we were in a session and we're like 30 minutes in and she was just sitting there <laughs> and I asked her if I was doing something wrong and she says, no, I gave you one thing to think about and it's working wonderfully for you. And so I think we, I'm starting to work on this different mindsets in dance as opposed to shredding a, a dancer and letting them know everything that's wrong. You have to give them a balance of both. Um, as you think back over the opportunities you've had, what you're currently doing, um, what are things that you would recommend students consider when they're looking to make a major decision about joining a company or choosing an academic program? What have been things that have helped successfully shape career transitions for you in dance, outside of dance? Well, I think discussion with family. I think 
the hill we climb in the dance world is the perception that you don't make much money. And if you're going to college and you're not making much money, how are you going to pay off your student loan? Mm -hmm. So negotiating, not I shouldn't say negotiating, but having a discussion with your family about going to college for dance, but having picking up other parts of an education, maybe a double major, a minor that gives you other skills that can make you marketable outside of dance. I see a college environment. It is a wonderful transition from being a, a studio student to the professional world because it is a safe environment. You can make mistakes. The, the only way you're going to improve is to make mistakes. You learn, you do, repeat. And by doing that process, when it comes time to do something that's perfect, you have gained all these skills. And that's basically what college is. And looking at a program, course cost, um, what do you get? I, mean, I, I think I mentioned this before, but what artists are coming in? What other things do they provide? Going into a company is a little different uh, just because they're, they're structured at least differently than in my day. It was either you were an apprentice or in the company. As I reflect on it, it was exactly what I needed. It was exactly what I needed as a ballet dancer. But now they have training programs or train what they call traineeships comes out of a traineeship and just knowing what you get out of that. Uh, Utah Valley University, part of their mantra is a, a low cost. I mean, I think what they pay a year would, would stun people. But what you get out of it, um, I think we get Mark Morris um, yeah. in a year or two. Um, they have study abroads. They they have internships. They just have a, a, a wonderful opportunity uh, to experience dance, to figure out where you want to go. Because too often a student dancer has an eye on a company or a place. That's the first place they audition. They don't get it. They stop dancing. Auditioning is something that you have to do. Um, I went to so many auditions at, uh, one year that it just became <laughs> another class. So when I was actually really auditioning for some place that yeah. I really wanted to go, I was calm. I was focused. I knew exactly what the best way to describe what my skill set was. <laughs> I was ready to, to be looked at mm -hmm. and be judged whether I was worthy or not, as opposed to quietly getting in shape and being ready and being ready and then being nervous going in and not knowing combinations and not being able to pick up choreography and falling out of turns, you know, and not just mock auditions, like go to real auditions because they're all structured a little bit differently and handled a little bit differently. Um, so I think that's the biggest piece mm -hmm. of advice I can give and go re-audition. I auditioned for Pacific Northwest Ballet and San Francisco Ballet four times. <laughs> I wanted in. <laughs> and I think that you have to be tenacious and you have to let sometimes let the dance world guide you to where you need to be for that moment. If you get a job offer, really consider it. Even if it's where you don't where not where you don't want to be, you know, if where you hadn't even thought about it, you know. Take it, get the experience, mm -hmm. get the professional. You, you never know what you're going to experience uh, with something that comes along your way. Don't pass it by because you think you're not going to get it. Um, mm -hmm. I had a former student apply for, um, she was a dancer, but she did a lot of costume design. So she applied to the costume shop at um, ACDA first. So she got an internship at ACDA working there. Then she got an internship a following summer at Jacob's Pillow and then went back to Jacob's Pillow, made a connection with a modern company, 
ended up touring with the modern company, come around. She applied to a fellowship at Jacob's Pillow and got it. But it all comes about from she just applied. She just put herself out there. And uh, I think we judge ourselves too harshly nowadays. You never know what people are looking for or what you know, makes someone you know, read your resume or some artistic statement and go, wow, I want to meet this person. Ask questions. You know, don't be afraid to, to ask if you're, if you're a student, ask your artistic director you know, for some guidance. There, that's what they're there for. I think the other major thing that we, already, we just talked about is don't sell yourself short. Thanks for listening to Stefan's story and journey in dance. Takeaways from this conversation. Is fear of failure limiting your ability to practice and build your creative portfolio? What are you noticing about how your teachers teach and how choreographers create? Are you aware of what you are doing right or what is going right for you in your training? Be inspired, be brave, be on point.